Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 86 for Monday, April 27th, 2020. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Pixel of the Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello. Uh, we've had a rousing start to today's show over on the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast, which you can listen to if you're a patron. And you can now listen to it live if you're a patron, because we record the show live for Discord members after hitting one of our milestone goals last week. Big thank you to everyone who has been supporting the show. And if you want to join their number and listen to the show as we record it, you can get the show at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to the Discord and a number of other benefits besides. Hi, Joel. How has your week been? My week has been good uh, because I accomplished a lot of adult things. Unfortunately, <laughs> when you have a lot of adult things on the list, the bottom of the list is video games. Mm -hmm. uh, and combined with still having no clue how to fix my frame issues on my PC, I haven't spent any time in Minecraft. And it has gone from being just incredibly frustrating to infuriating. Like, I, you know, I'm a smart individual. I feel like I should be able to fix this. Uh, I have help from smarter individuals, and both of us are stumped. Uh, and so it's been a problem. I'm feeling pretty defeated about it, actually. I had time last night uh, to play, to do something. And I just gave up. I was just like, nope, I just don't want to. I, you know, after getting the computer back to the point where like I've got OBS installed and I basically for pe people that are wondering, I had to install one app and one thing at a time and then test Minecraft and other games every time to see whether it was better or worse. And it could range from anything from as simple as adding OBS to the system, but more importantly, early on, it was things like my mouse driver. You know, it was things like uh, different Windows power settings, like different things, the NVIDIA drivers, stuff like that. And every single time I changed one thing, I had to check to see what was going on. And it seems to be a load issue with the computer. Uh, and it's, I, I've been able to remove the frame tick. I'm not sure how to explain this, but every once in a while, Minecraft will drop a frame. And uh, from then, it will just um, have a little blip as you're flying in a straight line. Mm -hmm. And that seems to go away if I use Optifine. Optifine tends to prioritize the frame rates. The frame stutter, which is a side-to-side -side thing, uh is only it's more of a blur with optifine so i feel like it's maybe playable i don't i haven't sat down and tried to play for an hour which was the intention last night and then i just kind of gave up yeah so because that uh, side so, to side movement thing is the stuff that's going to cause you a bit more motion sickness right well it's, and it's happening yeah. like peripherally on your screen and this is the thing. I thought that it was going... I thought for a, a second I might have stumbled onto something. I thought, oh, maybe it's my mouse. Like maybe the... So I tried a different mouse. I tried different mouse drivers. I tried everything. And it's not. And what's weird about it is that it doesn't happen front, back, up, down, left, right. It only happens with mouse rotation. So as you're turning your player in, in, in spot and looking left and right with your head, like that's when it happens. Mm -hmm. and uh but it's system-wide it's not just minecraft it's like so that's why i don't you know i don't dive into it too much as like a minecraft bug because on the pc it happens on all the games that i play including minecraft dungeons except for that doesn't have a left to, like it doesn't have a rotation with your head like that because you're just sliding around it you see it way way less 
Um, so yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been frustrating. And so I have not, I haven't played Minecraft in like three weeks. It's, mm. it's, I've been watching a lot of videos, you know, I've been keeping up with the news and I've been watching other people play and it's been frustrating because like, I'm starting to feel like I'm behind, you know, like even in my own server, I feel out of touch. I know that there are some things that have been built on the server that I haven't seen and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, after my little mood check last night, I will be able to, um, at least play, um, I'm hoping that when I also tax the system and attempt to stream at the same time, I don't end up back at square one with the same problem. Yeah. And so, uh, knock on wood, we'll hopefully see, see things. And I, and again, I haven't tested the snapshots either with the new build. I was only focusing on what I could play. Um, because the, the server I'm on is not a snapshot server. So, yeah, um, yeah. Well, fair play hopefully... to you for keeping up with other people's videos and stuff in the meantime, because it must be yeah. a bit rough not being able to play and still having to come on and host the uh, the show every week. So thank you it, for that. It is. But, but I, have to get, I have to get a shout out for all the people that are continuing to create good content that I enjoy because it allows me to kind of like play... Uh, what sort I'm looking for? Um, vicariously. Vicariously, yes. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. That's, the, that's, that's the Monday morning word that I could not find. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I watch a lot of Hermits. I watch you. I watch um, a couple of other friends, a whip friend of the show. And so keeping up with, with those folks has been has been super um, cool, you know, and uh, it, it, um, it, it also helps me because if what, I'm, if what I'm doing, if what I'm playing in the game, and you might find this as well, like if what you're doing on the survival guide doesn't necessarily overlap with the news or what we're doing or talking about on the show this week, then it helps to watch other people's videos. And then you'll get a kind of get a feeling, especially if it's someone technical like Il Mango or Nembon or something like that. And they're going into something where just you wouldn't normally touch that kind of stuff, you know, in your day to day on, 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 for me on the server, I just wouldn't. So to understand the, the depths of some of the changes and things that happen in the news, it's, it's nice to have those those folks i actually made a post uh this weekend on instagram i was joking that when i was 10 it used to be saturday morning cereal and cartoons and now it's saturday morning pancakes and minecraft <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. it really hasn't changed that much uh, it's been 30 years and it, it's the same thing <laughs> Yeah, it's it's about it's about the same for me. It's like wake up, have breakfast, watch some Twitch, and then yeah, get cracking with whatever the day's work is. Um, the day's work for me this week has included releasing my Minecraft with RTX video, so I finally got some footage from that uh, compiled into a video that I thought I could put out, and it's it's super fun playing around with all of the the realistic lighting stuff. I've had a great time with it. And yes, it was a sponsored video, but my enthusiasm for it is genuine, I promise you. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not being paid to say anything about it on the podcast here. Um, in fact, the, the, the payment basically began and ended with them sending me an RTX graphics card so I could actually record stuff in the first place. But nice. it is, it's still... Um, yeah, it's a fascinating experience. And I think a game changer, at least for builders... Um, because of just the ability to use colored light sources. And I know those are available in Java Edition if you have a path tracing shader pack, which are becoming more and more, you know, widely available as they develop. But yeah, really fascinating stuff to see how ambience can be changed, that kind of stuff. I'm planning on doing a video about how you can create that kind of vibe in vanilla Minecraft without shaders at some point for the survival guide. But it's still a heck of a challenge, which RTX makes a lot easier. And I was finally able to make good on the concept I came up with the first time I saw this, which was to make a puzzle that relied on understanding how the colors of light combine in order to solve the puzzle. So there are like, there's a purple and an orange block on the other side of the room. 
and you have to combine red, green, and blue light sources to make those colours, and with a little bit of redstone trickery, it opens a door at the end of the room if you only combine certain colours. So there was like an AND gate to make sure that if you combined one but not the other, it didn't open the door automatically. And I had fun with that. It was it was kind of a unique design for a puzzle that I didn't think would be super possible to demonstrate in vanilla Minecraft. It'd be the kind of thing that you could maybe you know, rely on people's knowledge of it without being able to visualize it in the game. But the fact that you have colored light sources means you can, which is super fun. Uh, outside of that, I've been playing a bit more Skyblock. I built a drowned farm finally to get uh, the drowned in this, um, this Skyblock map drop clay, uh, which is the only way to get clay in a Skyblock world. It's similar to how husks drop sand and zombies drop gravel so that you can acquire those resources with there being no freely available deserts and mountains. In the game so yeah I, I had a lot of fun putting together a drowned farm for the first time in a while last time i built one of those was over a year ago and it was a weirdly frustrating experience at first trying it out in creative simply because the uh the approach i was taking was to reset the day and change it to night so that the drowned would spawn more frequently and i didn't have to build a giant roof over the top what i learned from that was that the drowned behave really weirdly at night and their pathfinding becomes more active and they don't fall out of the farm. Whereas if you have it running during the day, even with a giant roof over the top of it, darkening the farm so that they can spawn in the first place, they just fall right through the farm. But if you have it running during the night, they start to swim to different water blocks in the giant cube. And it means you don't have to, like, you can't have them just drop out of the farm. They refuse to do it. So it was a huh. weird, a weirdly frustrating testing process, thinking I knew how to build a drowned farm. And I was overlooking one very sort of simple mechanic. But it's fine because I prefer to sleep all the time in Skyblock anyway, so I don't get phantoms. So it worked right. out for me in the end. Out of curiosity, what does a drowned require to spawn? Is it only two blocks of, or three blocks of solid water? Um, it is. You kind of need to build a large enough tank for them to spawn in large numbers anyway, just because of the sheer amount of spawnable space that you need. Um, right. There, there is like a mob cap kind of containing them within a certain area. So if you build one column of water, you're not going to get a ton of drowned spawning in that one, and you're also going to get a lot of fish. So right. what, I, what I have is an area that's basically two large squares inside of a river biome, and just filled with flowing water from the top down for about, I'd say, a height of 20 or so blocks. Basically, I built it below the level. Oh, so they, they'll spawn in flowing water too? They do, yes, uh, which is very oh, useful because yeah, that's uh, convenient. <laughs> water sources would just flow out the side of the farm. But um, yeah, yeah the, the cool thing about it is that um, in rivers, as opposed to oceans, they actually spawn more frequently. And with Skyblock being a void world, you can build it as low down in the world as you want to without having to worry oh, about right. spawn-proofing anything else. So I'm actually getting pretty decent rates from this because it's built closer to the bottom of the world and it's a, a, a pretty efficient farm. I have yet to get a trident from it, but I have enough clay to make a stack of blocks because they only drop a few clay balls at a time. But one of the challenges, the advancements in that map is to get a stack of clay blocks, which seems like an impossibility when you load into a skyblock world and you have a tree and some dirt to start with. But uh, yeah, in the end, it, it was it was a, a rewarding experience and a lot of fun. I wonder how convenient or effective it would be to have like a slightly larger farm as far as the area is concerned, but then just basically have single columns of water, but a lot of them. 
you know, like so almost like a checkerboard pattern, you know, like so yeah. they would just they would just kind of like flow out from the side, especially because you can do it with flowing water. Like I was thinking it would have to be like some sort of like, you know, fence fence gate or like extraordinarily expensive, you know, thing with like um glass panes or something where you'd have yeah. to, you know, section off the water and still give enough space for them to fall down. But if if you could do it with flowing water, my gosh, that would be a fairly straightforward thing for, for Skyblock. Yeah, yeah, it, it would be. It'd be interesting to experiment with a few different designs now that I've got this one. And I think the player preference is typically to avoid them taking full damage before they end up getting killed by the player because you don't get the trident dropping if you haven't killed them yourself. So that that's that's kind of the angle I'm taking is trying to make sure that they come out of the farm intact so I can swipe at them with a looting sword afterwards. But uh, yeah, hopefully that means I'll be able to get a trident. And I don't know if I'm going to try for um, Riptide and Channeling right away, but one of the other challenges is to get all of the mob heads that it's possible to get. So that's going to be a challenge in itself, just waiting for a thunderstorm to happen and charging some creepers. Nice. Right. Uh, let's let's move on to the news. We have a snapshot this week, but a a bit of a lighter and different snapshot than the ones we are used to, because it seems like the uh, the set of features is is winding down as far as new additions to the game, and they're focusing a little bit more on uh, bug fixes, technical changes, and a few things that need to be polished. Um, so we have Java Snapshot 20W17A. Uh, the snapshot change log this week actually includes a link to a survey where you can tell the Minecraft team what you think about the Nether update. It's a Survey Monkey page rather than it being a Minecraft feedback link because I think they just want uh, want you to rate certain features on a scale from one to five uh, rather than giving sort of longer form feedback about various things, uh, which I went ahead right. and filled out. Uh, it didn't mention the music at all, so I made a, a point of uh, adding a footnote at the end saying uh, in, in the any other feedback field, I really like the music from the Nether update. But it's mainly, right. you know, do you like Striders? Do you like Soulfire, Hoglins, Piglins? Like, what do you think could be yeah. improved? Um, what do you think is just okay? And what do you find really cool? Cool. Yeah, I, I would encourage everybody to go do that. And remember to be constructive, you know. And, and um, I mean, I, I think in, in terms of, like, asking people what they think, sure, it's going to be subjective to a, to a degree. But I think it's important to be constructive and not just like negative about stuff. If you have a reason, if you have something you don't like, make sure you have an articulate reason to convey to the team. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So um, do you want to roll through the snapshot change log? Uh, take a look at some of these new features and changes. Sounds like a plan. Uh, Java Snapshot 20W17A. We'll have a link in our show notes as well as uh, obviously a link on Minecraft.net. New features including added an entity distance scale option ranging from 50% to 500%. Difficulty and game rules can now be changed from the create world screen. Changes in 17A include improved smithing table UI, ruined portals now spawn less frequently, renamed Soul Fire Torch and Soul Fire Lantern to Soul Torch and Soul Lantern, tweaked bastion remnant loot walls now create posts under more things like pressure plates and banners the single player button will jump directly to create world uh if the screen is not uh, sorry if there are no worlds already created in your uh, minecraft install uh technical changes in 17a chat component style can now set select font block storage format in chunks has slightly changed to speed up various tasks like rendering pathfinding world generation, etc. Full range of Unicode characters is supported and added an attribute command. 
Notable bug fixes, there are many. You can find them again in the snapshot link to the show notes. Um, but the ones that we thought would be worth mentioning are breaking a furnace will not give you experience for the smelted things inside. That has now been fixed. Mob pathfinding AI does not regard some blocks as obstructions and is unusable, uh, sorry, un unable to pathfind on top of them. Uh, this has been fixed as well. Uh, only one player can access a shulker box at a time, also fixed. Shulkers cannot be opened while playing the closing animation. Now you can access them. Striders are moving very fast between two blocks when diagonally running onto blocks. This has been fixed. And the TNT eye height has been changed. <laughs> Who knew TNT had eyes? <laughs> I thought it was an odd way to I thought it was an odd way to describe that as well. I, I to me it felt like some sort of like behavioral change. I didn't realize that it had an eye height. Yeah. But um the the result is essentially when a TNT explodes and there is a primed TNT next to it or on top of it, it was sending that particular piece of TNT quite a ways, like it mm -hmm. was launching it in the air, which apparently is, I thought that was intentional behavior, but that's not the way it's supposed to work. Uh, or they changed it and then have decided to change it back. But essentially it no longer will do that. It will fire it uh, in a different direction or a direction more attuned to gravity mm -hmm. uh, because it was throwing it straight up which was I think probably blowing up people's devices and causing all kinds of havoc but now uh, a TNT block will um, operate with a lower eye I'm not sure, even sure how the eye height thing works bottom line according to uh, Il Mango and a bunch of other people that I watched this week on YouTube that TNT cannons will now work again so I guess the people that like TNT cannons will rejoice because <laughs> that'll that'll work any anything that involves explosives behaving more consistently is a good thing yeah. in my book. So uh, yes, <laughs> despite the the weirdness so of, of of TNT eye height being a concept we now have to wrap our heads around, I think that's that's good. And yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good bug fixes. And uh, let's let's go through the changes first of all. How do we feel about some of those? I think the one that sticks out to me uh, is renaming soul fire torches and soul fire lanterns. The least confusing name, considering we have uh, polished, chiseled blackstone bricks to contend with. Um, yeah, it's not the not the thing I thought needed to be more concise. But I guess if people are already using that as shorthand, then it kind of makes sense anyway. Yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with calling it a soul fire torch. I find soul torch harder to say than soul fire torch. It's 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 like how people don't call redstone torches red torches. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah, there's yeah, just, yeah. there's a certain technical thing, like there's soul fire, that's what's in them. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, yes. I also kind of feel like at some point they're just going to be blue torches and blue lanterns. Like I don't, I can see myself calling it a soul fire torch. I, for whatever reason, don't see myself using soul fire lantern. I'm probably going to say blue lantern or regular lantern. That's mm -hmm. like, that's kind of how I, I find I discern that kind of stuff visually in the game. And ultimately you come up with some shorthand anyway, but uh, yeah, I thought it was an odd choice for them to focus on renaming. Uh, speaking of odd choices, the uh, quote-unquote improved smithing table UI. I mean, sure, it's, it's I guess a, it's better. Technically, it's, picture, it's better than before. A but in it now. Yeah, that's, it's a you know. low bar. <laughs> you know, like it really wasn't much to change. Uh, so sure, uh, I guess because really you can't. Right now, I'm pretty underwhelmed by the smithing table. Like it, it, it had a lot of potential compared to how robust some of the other blocks are the yes. new profession blocks yeah if, uh, if you think about like all the stuff a cartography table can do now in terms loom, of cre creating yeah. maps uh locking maps as well there's like there's a lot of functionality there 
and the smithing yeah. table now like only as far as we can tell still only upgrades diamond tools to netherite um the, the only other change aside from the hammer pixel art is that there's now an ingot um outline in the slot that where you're supposed to add the netherite next to the tool but that's right. that's more or less it um and we still have no idea if that's, this has any bearing on what the fletching table is supposed to do <laughs> at any point so so who knows i'm hoping they do have more in mind for the future of these maybe something to do with wh whatever the eventual uh combat update happens on java edition but yeah uh yeah, yeah I'm, I'm underwhelmed i think by the uh by the smithing table at this point yeah no i, I agree and and I, I mean any changes that make things clearer are good you know, like i'm not saying that i think that it's just i feel like it's the combat thing the smithing table and the fletching table i feel like they're definitely being held up by the combat development that's happening right now i kind of um, hope so anyway yeah just, just for the, the, it, it the would make the most sense right like it would make the most it would make the most sense yeah um i think that the game rule screen changes are a welcome one uh, especially for new players after walking my sister through and quote unquote guessing at the possible settings and where they might be on a bedrock edition on tablet um, for my seven-year-old niece and helping them out uh, just via text to try and sort things out uh, i think that it would have been nice when you know a player creates a new world as a very first time minecraft you know installed it says oh you're creating a new world here are a bunch of the things that you can set and you know so if that was something that was straight up in their face when they created the world it would have been like my brother-in-law would have known right where to go when when my niece decided she didn't like the zombies and skeletons around he would have remembered oh right we saw that when we logged in for the first yeah. time and where to change that as opposed to relying on commands or having to then search through a tiered menu uh and minecraft menus are not always the easiest to navigate so having a big long scroll through here are the settings that you can change you know before you launch your world i think is is great it somehow um, it hadn't occurred to me that this game was unlike most other games which choose the difficulty before you hit go and you actually get like the opening cutscene or whatever of a game mm -hmm. i know minecraft is very different in that respect but it, it didn't occur to me that you you couldn't change your difficulty at all aside from i guess turning on hardcore mode beforehand and so yeah it is it is nice now that you have those options beforehand it also means you can set game rules like switching fire tick off and stuff like that which i and, and mob griefing i believe which i think is going to be useful for players to do that so that they don't then end up enabling cheats just to change some of that stuff if people are still kind of against yep. the concept of commands as cheats then they can get around that stigma by you know disabling fire spread before they even start the world oh no, that's a nice. really yeah that's a really good point because we had that conversation before about how they're called quote-unquote cheats in the game but mm -hmm. they're really settings and this makes them look and feel like settings yes yeah so that yeah, is that no, is a good change point. that i yeah, I, I kind no. of I, I support that for the sake of accessibility as well you know yeah. it's 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 a, a stigma that i think needs to change in the gaming community that easy mode like a lot of the time is uh being changed to assisted mode for people who don't feel like yes. they can uh they have the the kind of motor skills to be able to handle the normal difficulty of a game and and shouldn't have to and i think that's yeah that's kind of a a, a good change and it's an ongoing discussion in gaming in general about how they yeah. should word that kind of stuff so it's all, that, i mean you could also just be an adult muggle that can't keep up with your seven-year-old yeah all kinds of different ways uh the entity render distance is a new slider that is in the settings as well which uh controls the distance at which entities will render from the player ranging from 50 percent, which is i guess half of normal 
up to 500%, which is on, I guess the slider reads as five times what it normally does. But in the videos that I saw, that was not the case. It didn't seem to really do much, if at all. Um, so I don't know at that point whether that's functioning the way it's supposed to be, because uh, otherwise it's not going to be super useful. And the way that it's kind of like, the way that it's set up as terms of like 100%, 50%, 500%, and all the in-between, I kind of feel like they need to be a little bit clearer on that, you know, in terms of like near, far, you know, I mean, Where, sure, wherever have you the, are, I believe have, in your yeah, heart, have, in have, your heart have, will go on. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand, I understand the concept, but you should maybe add something in addition to saying 100%, 50%, you could say like normal, close, you know, far, super far, you know, very far. They, they do that with, um, I think they do that with, with uh, chunk distance and stuff like that. They'll say like a lot, or that's not far at all or whatever. Um, or I think it's the biome blend setting gives you like a, a number, like a nine by nine. And then it says like what it is like large, small, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so that, that I think could be clear. And if they get it to work right, that would be very cool uh, for people that are uh, doing big builds, big tactical things. You've got a lot of armor stands or uh, like chests Banners and stuff. And stuff like, yeah, Banners, yeah, totally. yeah. To have that stuff not disappear when you back up would be nice. If your computer can handle it, then why not turn it up, right? Yeah, I, I will admit that it's it's come up with me a couple of times in time lapses when I've had like a flying point of view for some sort of time-lapse thing and uh you can see my player character interacting with stuff that just isn't there like i i will open a shulker right. box and i'll sort of levitate a little bit because i'm standing on top of it sometimes or like i'll go to sleep but there's no bed visible and so it would be nice to uh to up that kind of stuff to render that stuff from a distance and i will also admit that having not played around with this snapshot at all because i saw it was just technical changes and i figured i wasn't going to make a video on it i didn't really look into it too much I thought for some reason that this was going to be something to scale up the size of mobs that you could see from a distance. I think of entities as like, you know, ghasts and blazes and so forth. Right. And so I was thinking like it's going to make the in, in that sort of objects in the mirror are closer than they appear kind of way. It was going to make the ghasts look a little bit smaller or larger so that you could hit them from a distance. I had no idea what this meant, but that definitely yeah. clarifies it for me that it's more about static tile entities and chests and item frames and well, stuff it's like about that. it's about animals, too, but it's about the distance from the player that you can see them. Yes, you know, like, yeah, totally. an, like animals, like, say, for example, if you're hunting for 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 chickens and cows and stuff for food or sheep for wool. Uh, they will disappear before the render distance will disappear. Yeah, because and of the ways that they work. I think that's that's probably a good thing, even for um, you know, for, for stuff like that uh, advancement where you have to shoot a skeleton from fifty blocks away. And so much of the time, I'm getting that, and I'm like, did that skeleton despawn, or did it just like move away from me far enough? Right. So yeah, I think it yeah. might be useful for stuff like that as well. But yeah, yeah. A, a confusing wording of it at first, I think, but a like a, a good change if it's implemented well. Yeah, a couple of other good changes are the ruined portals spawning spawning less often uh, yeah. in the world, which I think is a good thing in my humble opinion. I thought they're cool, but I think they, they did sort of feel quite frequent, and I think it makes them feel more special. So when you do stumble upon one, it'll be cooler. Yeah, uh, I like I, I like that idea. I think maybe one of the traps that they fall into, and I'm not saying this is necessarily Mojang's fault or whatever, but it's it's one of those things where they want these new features to be seen so that people can give feedback on them, and that right. leads to them end up generating quite frequently. It's it's the same problem I think we had with uh, basalt deltas 
when they were introduced was that suddenly they were everywhere and they were huge and very much in your face and we're like okay we get it there's a new biome you know um and and maybe that's so that people who've already generated snapshot worlds can find them more easily when they explore further afield but for the average player yes i think ruined portals were spawning a lot more frequently than they needed to and i think a lot of people want to log into a world which is relatively untouched and i think some people were a little bit concerned that they were going to have to clean up all of these ruined portals because they already yeah. know what a nether portal is and they don't need to fix one of these to understand how they work mm -hmm. no i agree uh the other thing that i thought was a, a nice change was that the additional things that you can put on top of a wall that will create posts mm -hmm. it's just consistent just consistency you know everything not that you're really going to put sea pickles on top of a wall but you could uh, and just now that pressure plates and banners and all that kind of stuff, it does create some cool building opportunities, you know, different textures, different depth on uh, one of the one of the more versatile now uh, sub blocks, I guess, in the game with the walls. Uh, also, though, it's it's going to be really curious to see what the redstone community does with this because of the way that observers can see a block state change and that, you know, you can send vertical signals uh, with uh, the changing of, of a wall. Uh, I think it's going to be really cool. I'm curious to see how that's going to pan out. That's a challenge for our listeners. If anyone can figure out a fun way of incorporating sea pickles into a wall design, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Send us your screenshots. And speaking of chunk mail, I think we'll roll on to that now. Um, this first email comes from Ware J, which has the subject Nembon's Ghostins. Uh, says, hey, Johnny and Joel. First of all, I want to say this is an amazing podcast and you guys are amazing hosts. I really enjoy listening to the podcast while I'm playing Minecraft. Thank you so much. Uh, I have one quick suggestion, or, or one quick question, sorry. I recently saw a video on Nembon's YouTube channel about a new mob he's suggesting for the 116 Soul Sand Valley. They're called Ghostlins, a neutral mob designed to decrease the huge number of ghasts spawning in the biome. I would love to hear your opinion on this idea. And there's a link to the video which we're going to be putting in the show notes uh, to Nembon's channel, where this is a uh, a popular suggestion, I think. Um, Wari signs off, greetings from Belgium. Hi, Belgium. Thank you so much for your email. Um, yeah, uh, the, the ghasts spawning in soul sand biomes has been a problem. And I think it depends largely on the size of the soul sand biome because if you have a larger almost like plains like soul sand soul sand valley then you end up with a lot of ghasts spawning in that area because the only spawnable space around you is within that biome the only mobs that can spawn there being ghasts and skeletons right now i believe so yeah you end up with a lot of ghasts even in nembon's video he had maybe 15 or 20 of them floating around him which is a lot more than you would normally get when you're exploring the nether. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I haven't had time to play in the snapshot. I've floating around in creative to take screenshots for the podcast and stuff, but never in survival outside of my very, very first stream that I did when they first had a snapshot. And uh, I don't remember finding any small biomes that were Soul Sand Valley. So I'm sure they exist, but then all the ones that I've found... I thought they were engineered to be large on purpose because I thought it was supposed to be this very slow, you know, biome that's going to be hard to traverse, you know, hard to cross, you know, dangerous. Uh, I didn't realize that the gas spawning was this prevalent. And uh, I, while I think it's um, a little early maybe to speculate on an additional player design mob for the Nether update, you know, Moyang always has a few surprises up their sleeves for release day. So um, that aside, I do like the motivation here. It's not... It's not a, this sucks, I'm going to fix it. It's more of like a, this actually 
this might be bad for like this might be a bad experience for players like i feel like yeah. nembom's motivation here is like this isn't i mean this is fine but it's just like this for other players this might not be the best experience and you know he's like i really like the soul sand valleys but i think a lot of players are going to be going in here get shot at by 10 gas and be just like nope i'm just if from this point on if they see the soul sand valley they're just going to go around it and I think that's too bad because I think they're really cool. Yeah. Um, and I agree with him. And so um, he came up with this idea of this, uh, I think it's a neutral mob. I think it only attacks you if you attack it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, like and, the, the way Endermen are neutral or yeah. um, I guess zombie pigmen are neutral. That sort of thing, yeah. Uh, it's very cool in terms of the design in that they're just like little souls, little ghosts, little floating skulls kind of like flying around. In my in his video, I thought they were maybe a little bit too frequent. Um, they they spawned in packs and stuff, and it was a little bit over the top. But I could, I could see something like this, like a little floating ghost soul, you know, in, in the um, Soul Sand Valleys would, it suits the name, it would, it feels kind of very Minecrafty. Uh, I don't know about all the particle effects that are under them. I'd, I'd say that it might look a little bit more Minecraft if it had a blocky model to it and it just happened to be transparent, you know, mm -hmm. like you could just kind of like see the sort of like how slimes have like a transparency to them, but these could be even more transparent. I think that could be, so that could be really, really cool. Um, I like that they don't really attack you, but the way that he has designed them is that if you do hit one, then they swarm you. So it makes you feel really uncomfortable, very overwhelmed. They kind of scare you, but they don't, they're kind of like baby slimes. They don't really do enough damage unless you're not wearing any armor. They're not like going to end you right where you stand. Right. And so I think it kind of adds that spookiness to the soul sand Valley, but doesn't, doesn't up the 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 threat to your life because i think the ghasts are going to do that on their own but the idea of having this number of mobs floating around in the soul sand valley is that it mitigates and reduces the number of ghasts that are spawning yeah. uh, so the the idea of trying to make the soul sand valley a little bit safer but not reducing the spookiness of it or the trepidation a player might feel going across them and i thought that was pretty cool I think the the problem with ghasts right now is the destructive potential. I think is that the problem being they can fireball stuff, destroy blocks, and that has a pretty hefty impact not just on the player just being able to sort of dance around this landscape trying to avoid the fireballs, but it also has an impact on the biome, the resources you can collect from it. It makes it very difficult to traverse right now, and I. I feel like two ghasts at a time is sometimes too much to handle for the average player. More than three is going to be a disaster. <laughs> so yeah. I think, uh, if anything, I if, if not implementing a mob like this, it kind of encourages the player to seek out alternative ways of getting around. And I wonder if getting overwhelmed by ghasts is a good opportunity for players to be reminded of certain potions, like invisibility potions, which would probably mm. help. Um, I think they are more effective at range. I know there is a certain limitation to how much armor you can be wearing at the time for mobs to not see you, but with ghasts floating around, it's less likely that they're going to see you when you get within a few blocks of them, which is what happens with some other mobs uh, that aren't necessarily fooled by invisibility. And so I think it might be fun to, if not like, you know, have invisibility on you all the time, it, 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 it kind of 
encourages you to think about solutions like that that might not occur to you so much. Uh, so, so as an alternative to introducing a new mob, reducing the mob cap, and then potentially reducing the uh, viability of stuff like ghast farms in soul sand valleys, which I imagine is where a lot of people's brains went right away when they saw the sheer number of ghasts spawning there. Mm-hmm. I think um, it might be kind of fun to see what we can already use in terms of the existing game mechanics that turn the tables on us a little bit and allow you to handle that amount of ghast activity the first being hide (laughs) Um, (laughs) but we we aren't used to needing too many potions in the same way that we need say fire resistance for survival in the nether but the nether and potions are intrinsically linked and i think you know an invisibility potion is probably a good alternative to absolutely nerfing the ghast spawn rate or changing it up with some other mobs spawning there at the same time one of the other things that I, because I do, I do like the visual idea of gas spawning in those kind of numbers to kind of make you kind of like, you know, have that pause before you go into that soul sand valley. Because like you look at the soul sand valley and you see six of them floating at various distances from you, like that would just be like a, oh wait a minute, <laughs> do yeah. I really, do I really want to do this? Um, but I think one of the other changes that they could make, I don't know at what degree of change they would need to do this to make it viable but reducing the range that a ghast has like reducing the range at which they can see you and shoot at you might help um because i think even nimbon mentioned in his video that like the ghasts were shooting at him from within the fog so he's just like i don't even know where that's coming from like it's yeah. just it's it's a problem uh so i think that maybe if this is how ghasts are going to happen going forward, then maybe the Hail Mary range that they have could be reduced at least a little bit. Or maybe the detection range. So maybe they can shoot you from a long ways away if they've already seen you, but they can't see you until you're a lot closer. Because then that could be kind of a fun game mechanic of like, well, I'm seeing three ghasts here, but I might be able to walk in between them and not be seen. Well, let's find out. Like that, that could be fun as well. Because um, again, like I know I've complained about the game being too easy before. And so this certainly does not look easy after watching his videos. I was like, oh man, I am I am not going in there. That does not look at all uh, like fun. Because again, like I haven't done it in survival. I've only been flying around in creative, just checking out snapshots and stuff. Yeah, I, I feel like it's one of those things that doesn't really scale all that well. Like you don't mm. start off being afraid of, of that many ghosts and then develop like... A, a stance where you're like uh, with enough gear and enough you know firepower i can be invulnerable like it, it doesn't balance out very well as the progress of the game goes on so no, exactly yeah I, I feel like that maybe still needs a little bit of balancing um yeah i i like i like the idea nembon's concept for it is pretty solid but maybe there are some more creative ways it can be solved or, or may, if not more creative then at least ways that are kind of more in line with what the game already has Our next email comes from Throlash regarding Piglin Bastion ideas and such. Hello, gents. First off, love both of your content. You're both such an inspiration. Thanks for all that you do. Can't wait for another Joel stream. Come on, computer. Thanks, man. (laughs) Really appreciate it. Needs all the Uh, encouragement it can get at this point. Yeah, Yeah, right. Uh, Second, Joel, thank you so much for the shout out on episode 85. It was immediately inspired when I took a look at the new chain. What subtle, simple, yet wonderful additions uh, to our decoration arsenal. Chains part two is now out if you're interested. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. I'll have to go check that out. Thirdly, I wanted to write in with my opinion on Piglin Bastions. I am severely underwhelmed, to be perfectly honest. The various bastions I've come across while playing in the snapshot have been boxes. That's it. 
A box that's severely damaged, a box with lava in the floor, a box connecting another box, you get my meaning here. With villages in 115, we got a plethora of unique structures. I'm looking at you, Savannah, ostrich please, and deserts. Even the old nether fortress has wonderful character with unique and clearly noticeable pieces, albeit the severe lack of block variation, uh, which makes sense from time to time, from the time it was added, and I agree. Um, I don't want to say bastions are boring because they are not. In my experience, they are fairly difficult structures to explore. Between them being built out of blackstone and blackstone variants and it being relatively dark in the nether, I often found myself completely missing passages repeatedly due to the entire environment bleeding in with itself. I completely lost the depth of the structure because everything looks the same. While being so broken and shattered, there were nothing that drew my eye and attention to say, go that way, except for a large opening where I honestly just jumped into them, <laughs> completely ignoring the structure around it. Also, the moment that you touch a chest, penguins come out in droves from those hallways and passages I couldn't see. After rereading this email before sending it, I see how negative I sound, and from, for that I apologize, but for the last big reveal that we're, we've been waiting for almost a year for, I'm a bit bummed. I will say, though, that the new content is always welcome, and I will explore a bastion when I see it, mainly for that sweet, sweet pig step. Keep uh, being you, my dudes. Thrillash. Thanks for the excellent email, Thrillash. I hope I didn't butcher it too badly as I tried to read it through. Um, I'm glad we're not alone on on the piglin cubes Beca yeah <laughs> because they're like it's it's a it's a real issue uh and i i'm seeing it more and more i was uh watching uh an etho plays video um uh earlier this morning and he came across a, a bastion and there it was like my point just beholden in front of me. It was a giant behemoth box in the middle of a lava lake. I was like, that, that's not interesting or fun. You know, from the outside, it doesn't, it, it, you'll, and even then, like, I guess because it's a cube, it's the only way to distinguish it from a nether fortress. The nether fortress tends to have like towers and bridges and stuff. Like it tends to have more stilts, you know? Um, but the piglin bastions, um, I think that's, I think Thrillash's response is kind of an articulate way to say like, you know, they're, they're, it's not bad to have new content, but it doesn't seem to be uh, what people were hoping for. Yeah, and I, I think maybe they could be improved with a little bit of block variation and a little bit of shape variation. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wonder, because piglins will also spawn in nether wastes and crimson biomes, I wonder if maybe some crimson blocks could be incorporated somewhere. And maybe if one spawns in a crimson biome, it might start to look a little bit more it might start to stand out a bit more i don't know exactly what biomes the bastions tend to generate in if they are everywhere or if they're just in specific places but the majority of those i've seen have been on the shores of lava lakes and they are just kind of brick shaped things uh on a flat plane so the contrast there doesn't really help it's not like a nether fortress where it's sticking out of this chaotic and cavernous terrain a lot of the mm -hmm. time bastions seem to spawn next to other flat things and so their flatness is almost emphasized by that it doesn't create contrast it is the same so that may yeah. be uh, a quirk of it and it may be that that's the only place they can spawn because they need enough room to generate a structure of that size but then you know the winding kind of hallways of nether fortresses have always just been able to generate through things so i wonder maybe if they are 
you know, if it's just a an, an unfortunate coincidence that the ones I found have all just been attached to lava lakes or on the very edges of like the the, the bottom parts of the biomes. Yeah, um, I I'm wondering, like I know that I'm. I mean, everybody's going to be bringing their own personal experience to this and kind of what they expected a pickle and bastion to to look like. And I I feel like there's probably been an awful lot of work behind the scenes that has gone into the way that they are constructed, the way that they are generated, and the multiple pieces that go into them. And I think one of the simplest solutions that could improve them i don't say it's going to fix them but it's going to make them better than they are would be as you said to inc include other block variants like i'm surprised that more blocks around the nether are not being used by the piglin you know crimson wood warp blocks bone blocks like when i was thinking about the bastions when they were first mentioned I was thinking, and again, bringing my own player experience to this, I was thinking more of like the kind of huts that you would see from orcs in World of Warcraft. Where you exactly have like a where, red, my, like, where my like mind a, was going as well. Yeah, yeah, like a red canopy, like a red roof with like bone structure hanging out and like used as like rafters or uh, roof ridge poles, like st anything that would feel like the piglins made it. I also wasn't sure at that time when they very first mentioned the bastions that they were going to be bastion remnants. Like they weren't actually going to be things that these piglins actively lived in. They're going to be ruined stuff. And so you get this idea that the piglins are extremely protective of this hunk of junk that they live in, you know, and with piglins spawning mostly in, is it crimson forests that they're the other biome that they spawn yeah, in? Yeah, crimson forests and uh, nether wastes. Right. So I'm kind of surprised that they don't, that their homes don't reflect those kind of community, like those kind of environments. It, it feels just very, very odd. It feels more like, it feels more like the kind of things that you'd expect to see wither skeletons and blazes in. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and again, like I'm, I'll reiterate that I think a huge part of the problem is how samey all of the blackstone blocks are. It doesn't help their situation. It doesn't help uh, with any kind of contrast. I mean, Thrillash, you know, even saying in his email, I'm passing by hallways and passages that I just can't see, you know, because yeah. it's, it's, it's like when you use black concrete in the game and you make a hallway, but everything is black concrete, you can't see it. <laughs> like you just walk the, right by. Uh, it's the optical illusion from Labyrinth, you know, where like the yeah. wall doesn't look like it's there, but it actually is or whatever. Yeah. Um, with the worm. It's one of my favorite, <laughs> yeah. favorite moments in that movie. If she hadn't gone down that way. You know? yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, 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 yeah. Great moment. Yeah, yeah. No, and th that's true. That's exactly what it feels like. Now, I, that could be by design. Like, I mean, it could be that they're meant to be Labyrinth-like and meant to have the player get tossed around and turned upside down and back over a hole that you didn't know was there and die in lava. But like that to me isn't fun that it's it's like presenting a challenge and, and having the challenge to the player is one thing but like confusing the player it, it doesn't have the same feeling you know what i mean yeah it's 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 kind of in line with the soul sand valley feedback in that it's like it's not necessarily an enjoyable experience as a challenge it just kind of gets in the player's way more than anything else and like you i don't want to discredit the work that people have clearly put into these because exactly there has, there has been a certain amount of thought put into them and if nothing else it's going to be one heck of a structure for players to do a makeover job on i feel like seeing what players do with the bastions and how they turn those into some sort of piglin city especially if piglins are going to spawn there more frequently and choose to hang out in bastion structures i think you could do a lot with that but yeah i, I, th I think it is it is probably going to be up to players to make these things as interesting as players thought they were going to be in the first place no i agree
Right, uh, let's move on to our main uh, topic of discussion, which has actually been spawned in by uh, another piece of chunk mail. This one came from Toby S., uh, and uh, it, it kind of came out of a discussion we had in episode 82. Toby says, I just listened to episode 82, and in it you mentioned having a discussion where Joel would give tips on how to take screenshots. I would enjoy this very much, and I'm personally looking for tips on how to take the perfect screenshot. Thank you, and I enjoy your podcast. Toby. Well, thank you, Toby. Um, yeah, I thought this would be a, a great to topic for a short discussion because, Joel, of course, you are the uh, the artist of the two of us. You're the one who does all of the artwork for the show. You take screenshots pretty regularly as thumbnails, and I always thought the thumbnails for the show look super great. Um, oh, thanks, so, man. Yeah, so, so I thought we could defer to your design knowledge on this one, and I'll just interject at the start to say what I've learned from taking screenshots for YouTube thumbnails. First and foremost... If you're in Java edition, F2 takes a screenshot. So <laughs> stop posting pictures that you took with your mobile phone. There is a screenshot function built into the game. And then if you open the chat by pressing T and click on the screenshot link, it actually opens that on the file system of your computer. So there is no excuse, folks. Po post your screenshots that were taken in-game, please. And I'm sure if you're playing on consoles and so forth, there is screenshot functionality built in with sharing functionality for basically every console that's out there right now. I remember the days when I had to link my Xbox 360 to my Facebook account, and that was the only way I could export screenshots from the game. And I still... <laughs> <laughs> did it because i didn't want to take one with my phone so <laughs> i have i have a couple of very low resolution screenshots of my old xbox 360 builds that was basically my only facebook activity for the last 10 years anyway first of all i think um fov is one thing to play around with and i'm sure you will have some stuff to say about this as well but especially if you're somebody who normally plays on quake pro that stretch at the side of the screen is not attractive on screenshots so even if you have to get like a slightly wider angle in order to take in all of the detail of a room, maybe take multiple screenshots around that room with a lower FOV. Um, I find I normally play at FOV 80. I, I find myself lowering it to 55 and below if I want to take a nice screenshot of something. Um, as far as like composition and stuff goes, it might be difficult to fit all of the details in, but that's where stepping back a little bit could be concerned. And maybe adjusting that slider that we mentioned earlier that uh, renders in entities, because if you up your FOV and then step back, I start to find entities and stuff end up disappearing a lot of the time. Um, personally, I think screenshots always look better and are often better received as far as YouTube thumbnails go if they have some context. People love seeing the open sky above your castle, village, project, whatever. Like, I feel like a lot of Minecraft thumbnails which have the green grass and the blue sky are the ones that people are going to want to click on because they're vibrant, because the color kind of pops out at you. The nether always looks too dark, and I have taken to brightening it artificially in Photoshop when I make my thumbnails. I put a white layer behind it, and I use one of the uh, color options. What What's it even called? The um, adjustment layers to kind of uh, filter yeah. that out with like a hard light filter so that the the brightness of the white layer behind it actually amps up all of the color and makes some of the stuff in a nether screenshot visible <laughs> because for the most part it isn't. Um, I also think this is something that people often forget, but disabling clouds or raising the height of clouds using the settings in Optifine, if you're building something high enough that clouds can travel through it, is a big one because if you have a skyscraper and a cloud is just like cutting a chunk out of your skyscraper then people aren't going to be able to see the entire thing for a start and also it doesn't look realistic because minecraft's clouds don't look realistic to begin with but they look even less so when they are halfway coming out of a building that they've just passed through um 
Last of all, shaders look nice, but don't rely on them too much, in my opinion. It's nice to take screenshots with them, but for everyone who thinks your dirt house looks beautiful with shaders, there's going to be somebody else who sees through the shaders and realizes it's just a dirt house. So uh, that's my two cents on it. I will turn over to you, Joel, for uh, a slightly more technical approach. Well, I can build on the idea of the FOV. Uh, if you think about the FOV like a camera lens, think like a photographer, then the Minecraft default viewing angle is, I want to say 70? Yeah, it is 70, yeah. Yeah, which is uh, wider than your human eye normally sees clearly, right? You get you get peripheral vision, but what you can focus on in front of you is not nearly that wide. 50 to 55 is more natural representation of the human eye if we're talking about lenses. So it's why when you look through a 35 millimeter camera lens, the subject that's in front of you looks like they're farther away. And when you look through an 80 millimeter lens on a camera, they look like they're right on top of you, even mm -hmm. if they're standing two feet or four or five feet from you. But, but if you look through a 50 or 55 millimeter lens, they're going to look quite natural in terms of how far they are from you. And so that gives you a little bit better of an idea. Now, we're, 70 is a better angle to play at because you can see more, right? So when you turn around, it doesn't feel like the Minecraft world is on top of you. So it does, it does mean that when you're taking your screenshots, if you're lowering your FOV to 50 or 55, you're going to have to back up more than, than your normal position where you would take a screenshot. This is if you're taking a screenshot for like an artful purpose, like you want to yeah. share this beautiful build, not just your own reference. If you're taking screenshots for your own reference, it doesn't matter. Just, you know, take whatever screenshot is going to show you the most. Um, in some cases, I've actually turned my FOV way up if I'm taking a redstone shot that I need reference for. And I just need everything in the one shot. I don't need it for art. I need it for reference. And that, that works out well. Um, you know, using F1 to remove the, the, the uh, heads up display. So it removes your hand, your tool, your, uh, your bar. It removes the F3 screen if you've got that open. Uh, so anything like that, it's just the screenshot. Um, you're going to save yourself a lot of headaches if you're doing anything with the screenshot later. If you're using... Uh, a larger screenshot size. So if you can deal with having a larger screenshot, you know, in terms of the slight weight it might give you, most computers are fast enough that a larger screenshot is not gonna be in the end of the world, but you wanna deal with at least 1920 by 1080 if you're gonna be doing anything with it later in Photoshop, but usually you can, you can get it a lot higher. Um, I've actually run into the opposite problem where when I was playing Minecraft a lot on my Mac, the default screenshot size is 5K because it's full screen. And so I would go to send it on Discord to somebody and I wouldn't be able to because Discord's like, that's larger than four megs. I can't send that. Yes, and so that um, became an issue. For the record, for people who have smaller displays, like I can't play Minecraft at a higher resolution than 1080p because of the display I have. Optifine has an option that allows you to take screenshots at double the resolution or I think up to four times the resolution. So yeah. in, in rare cases when I've needed to send a screenshot to Joel for reference, uh, Optifine actually lets you do that. So uh, could be useful if you're planning on working with something with a little bit larger canvas. And while you're thinking about, you know, taking a screenshot like a photographer, uh, there's a thing called the rule of thirds. Most people were going to be familiar with it if they have that um, a filter on their cell phone. Uh, a lot of times when you go to take an image, there'll be like a grid that'll show up, but it's not a crosshair. It's it's a it's a nine it's a three by three. Uh, usually like a, you know, four by three or, or a 16 by nine, depending on what you're doing. And the reason for that is because when you take a picture of a landscape, 
and you've got the horizon going directly through the middle, 50% of your landscape, it's just an art no-no. It just, it does not look nearly as interesting or as appealing as the rule of thirds, which is either position your horizon line with your, you know, your house and everything on it very low in the frame, usually around the bottom third, or quite high in the frame. So by being quite high in the frame, you're probably going to be taking like a top-down shot. You know, so your horizon line is going to be in the background, up around the top third of the frame. You're looking down at your house and your garden and your tree and your front path. Now, reverse, if you're taking a dramatic picture of, say, a church and has a big steeple, you're probably going to want to be lower. So you're going to angle the thing, your, your camera up, and your horizon line is going to be in the lower third of the screenshot. So it's going to be the focus of that image is going to be mostly the horizon, the trees, the, you know, like the, the, the steeple of the church breaking into the sky, you know, like you were saying, like having that blue sky broken up by all these cool, interesting shapes. So take a look at what you're, you're, you're taking a, a screenshot off and what's more interesting. Is it all the texture that's involved or is it the silhouette? If the silhouette is more interesting, you're probably going to want to have a lower horizon line. And if the subject matter is more interesting and the inside textures and colors and stuff like that, then you're probably going to say like, well, I don't want to put two thirds of my screen as the sky because the sky is kind of boring. Like really what I want people to focus on is, is like the lower third of what I'm doing. Um, in addition to that, when you're moving your horizon line and kind of framing everything up, when you're framing a shot, you want to avoid tangents. And for those of you that don't know what a tangent is, it's kind of hard to describe um, verbally. But if you have two objects on a table and they're touching one another and you back up far enough, even if those objects are not necessarily, sorry, if they're touching the same plane of view, but if they're not actually touching one another, let's say like a red ball and a blue ball and one is farther away from you than the other. But if they're lined up perfectly, where the, they don't overlap at all, they just barely touch visually. It's really hard in a still image to discern which ball is closer to you than the other. Mm -hmm. um, so in Minecraft, if you're taking a photo or a screenshot and you're positioning your lens and the tree that you're next to, the edge of that straight block tree lines up perfectly with the edge of your straight block house that's 40 blocks away, it's a bad idea. Because visually people looking at your screenshot are being like, well, the house looks like it's far away, but it also looks like it's right next to me because visually, you know, that tree is next to you, but then it looks like the house is next to you too. So overlap stuff. Uh, a lot of times I'll think I'll have a nice screenshot and I'll just quickly do a tangent check over the whole image and go like, Oh, nope, that bush and, and my barn, you know, like they, they're touching one another just at the wrong angle. And all I have to do is take like a block step to the left and then the edge of the bush overlaps, you know, the the um the barn and then you instantly know bush in front of barn layers you know like you see the depth and that helps yeah. a lot with the with the perspective of it with it being a 2d image representing a 3d game like yeah. it's it's very difficult to see that stuff if you don't take the time to allow people to see the space in between those objects yeah so it makes yeah a lot of sense. and and because of the way that Minecraft is structured with blocks, like it, everything has got a straight vertical line on it, right? So like it's, yeah. so it becomes very tricky. You can see these tangents cropping up a lot. It's one of the things I see a lot in, in screenshots. The other thing, the other tangent that you want to avoid is the edge of the frame. So the edge of your screenshot, you don't want any of your objects to just touch that either. So say, for example, you have a tree and the edge of the tree 
just touches the edge of your frame. That's a bad idea too. You want to make sure that you're cutting off a good chunk of the tree. It doesn't have to be a lot, but you want to make sure that you're giving the idea of like that tree continues off frame. Let your viewer's imagination finish the tree or put the tree all in. Make sure that there's enough breathing room around the tree so that they see the full silhouette and that there's not like a tangent or a near tangent. Like you don't want it to have three pixels away from the edge of the screen. Technically, yes, you don't have a tangent, but are people really gonna see it as that? Probably not. Like you wanna make sure that there's enough breathing room for your subject matter, um, which you, again, you mentioned in the idea of like blue sky and stuff like that, that's giving people breathing room. But in terms of like a tighter subject, like if you're taking a picture of a mob, like when I was taking uh, screenshots of the Strider for screen for um, snapshot videos uh, earlier this this spring, uh, with with subject matter like that, think like a cinematographer. Think about how subject matter or players or things like that in the game, animals and mobs are framed. Think about how characters are framed in film. You can use animated film as a really easy reference. If a player is, fa or if a, if a character is facing screen left, they are probably on the right of the screen. They, where they're looking generally has more screen space. Again, rule of thirds, they're probably in the right third where then two thirds on the left is empty, right? So you can use the same idea vertically. You can also position your house, your character, your subject matter on the left, the right-hand side if it's facing left. If it's facing right, you want to do the opposite. You want to put the, the house facing right to the left of the screen to give like the, imagine like you're walking out your front door. You don't want to walk out your front door into a wall, right? So if you're walking out the front door of the house, you don't want to walk out into the frame of the shot. You want to have to give it that kind of space. A lot of people do this naturally, but it's usually a good thing to, to remember. Um, all of these rules are things that you can break. These are not hard and fast things. For example, I've done plenty of screenshots where the horizon line is barely visible. Like it's not thirds. I'm talking about like it's a, it's a seventh or it's a ninth or it's like, it's really tiny. And that's fun for overhead shots. It's fun for really dramatic up shots. You can do a lot of really fun stuff like that. Um, same thing with with um with framing stuff if you want to make the the player feel uncomfortable frame a shot of a of a wither skeleton inside of a nether fortress tightly you know like make it feel like you're on top of it so you can control how you frame things what your viewing angle is like what your P P pov is like uh in all those kind of ways um yeah. i don't know if i can really get into all the different bells and whistles that i do in photoshop with stuff after the fact but I do apply, especially with the, the, because people might be wondering about the, the screenshots for the spawn chunks, I apply a, a number of different effects in Photoshop to the screenshots, depending on how well they've turned out. Less so if they've got shaders. Um, but a lot of times I find that the Minecraft rendering is just kind of bland. So I'll usually up the contrast. As Johnny said, I'll up the brightness in the nether, usually by about 20%. Um, but then I'll also go back in and add in some more like saturation so that because generally when you brighten something out it, it tends to wash it out it tends to be more white and so i'll add in more saturation so that even though i've brightened it up the lava still looks rich and orange and, and deadly it doesn't look like kind of like tomato soup you know mm -hmm. yeah and and i think lighting is something to consider even while you're still in game as well like if you have the opportunity to brighten an image before you take a screenshot of it, it is worth doing. If you can conceal light sources, 
around the room uh if you're taking an interior mm-hmm. screenshot of something that will save you time especially if you have smooth lighting turned on and stuff like that it's going to be much less noticeable and i think as far as you can stretch the regular graphics settings depending on what kind of hardware you have i think it's worth including that stuff because it is going to make your screenshots feel like a little bit more quote unquote realistic like we won't go full realism here uh because it's still minecraft but i think you're gonna you're gonna have a much more natural scene if you're able to turn up smooth lighting because then the blocks are going to be less visible and that kind of stuff um there's definitely in-game settings that will let you play around with that for sure even dynamic lighting in optifine is is kind of worth having if you can hold up a torch inside a cave i feel like that is one one area where you could at least allow your your hud to still be there because then it looks like you're actually holding a torch up to the darkness and i i could be incorrectly remembering this but i'm pretty sure that when you do that and you have dynamic lighting turned on and you hide the hud it doesn't stop the dynamic light and your hand will disappear but i'm pretty sure the light from the torch you're holding is still happening yeah, I think I think I, I, think, it, I think it might do. I don't play because uh, I, I don't. Often. I don't. Rem- I don't. I remember. I know I've. I use the F one trick all the time, but I don't remember a giant like light dark, light dark light switch going off when I do that. So I kind of feel like the dynamic lighting does does kind of hold up. The other trick that that um, painters use. So I've been talking a lot about photography, but when I do art as a you know as an illustrator and, and when I do any kind of like digital painting, which doesn't happen very often, but. Um, one of the things that a lot of people will talk about is color harmony. So if you're taking an image of a scene, like say in the new nether biomes, everyone is going to be super excited about all the new nether biomes. Well, if you've got a couple of nether biomes that are overlapping, unless you're specifically taking a photo of the overlap, you want to try and avoid too many colors kind of mixing together because you want a color harmony over the, over the image. And one of the tricks that you can use, because Minecraft doesn't really do this, um, most video games don't, unless they have like ray tracing and then they do, which is why one of the reasons why ray tracing looks so good. Um, but say like, say you're look, you're in the nether and everything is lava and you're in a crimson forest and then it's next to, you know, like a, a nether fortress or, or you've got like a little bit of crimson stuff hanging on. What's a really easy trick uh, in, in a photo, uh, a program like Photoshop and really any kind of image editor should be able to do this is take uh, an eyedropper tool and suck up like one of the main colors, like say like a red or an orange and just fill an entire layer with that cover color. Now in Photoshop, you can change that layers function to color or multiply or color burn or something. You can play around with what you think looks good. But you want to reduce the transparency on that layer down to something like 5 or 10%, sometimes even as low as 3. And all it's going to do, it's like glazing something. If you think about like paint glazing, like a really thin, watery paint, it just means that like all the bright turquoise of, say, a warped forest in your screenshot of, of a crimson forest, if they're in the background, are going to have like a little bit of a purple to them. Like they're going to have some red in the image. And all it just means is just it feels like the environment is more uh, cohesive. It feels like it's all on the same planet in the same space. Uh, Minecraft does a pretty good job with that with the new fog in the nether. And so it feels like when you're in the basalt deltas and you have that like that gray fog and the white ash floating around it all feels very cohesive everything that you're looking at has this haze over it and that's one of the reasons why that biome looks so good is because of that 
And, and so in normal Minecraft photos, the same thing, I'll do that with like a, an overworld screenshot. I'll take something like, especially if it's got like a shader, you know, pack on it. And you're like, well, there's all this really nice warm sunlight coming in, but it's not like, it's not over the whole image. It's not because it's fake. It's not really ray tracing. So taking a, a warm orange or a yellow, putting that over the entire image, and then just reducing that down to like 5%. And if you just kind of flick that on and off, you'll kind of understand what it means to have like color harmony over an image. And it does a world of difference. And it's a super, super simple thing to do. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, screenshots of the nether once people get into the nether update for real and start to probably do like full nether survival series and things like that because of being able to have that full tool progression in the nether now. So we're going to be seeing a lot of nether screenshots. So hopefully some of these tips will help you spice up your nether screenshots and allow you to produce some more exciting stuff. Can't wait to see them. But for now, I think that's probably going to wrap up this episode of the Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me and the Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat and now affords you the privilege of being able to listen into the podcast as it is recorded live. That was a milestone goal we have just met we have more goals in the pipeline and we are happy to announce that we have additional patrons from last week including a new addition to our content engineers welcome goody to the lineup of content engineers who we need to thank in alphabetical order as usual thank you to cameron sigelski goody greener canuck jd williamson yakov nastin and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast with friends. Wave and shout from across the street or across the yard and let your neighbors know that we do this great Minecraft podcast and you think they should check it out. You can email the show at the new email address, which is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And of course, the RSS feed is on thespawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, which is where you can find the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixel Riffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide series, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything online for me, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. If you'd like to hire me, then just drop me a line through the site there. The Citadel Cafe is my other podcast, all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. This last week with Megan Townsend, we did an entire in-depth talk about Animal Crossing. So if you're one of the millions of people playing that game, then you might want to check out the latest episode of the Citadel Cafe. Uh, you can also follow me at Joel Duggan on all social media. And of course, I will point you towards twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan, where I hopefully will be making a triumphant return because I got into the early access uh, build on Industries of Titan, which not Minecraft, but a voxel-based game. So check that out at twitch.tv slash Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. Stride is going to stride.